if we don't get this under control to a much greater degree than we have now, and then we run into flu season, the uh, impact on our health care system could be intense and immense. So that's why the next month or two are going to be very important. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Steve Fennessy. It's Friday, July 24th. The first wave of the pandemic is not over. After several weeks of declining numbers, the graph of infections in Georgia is beginning to resemble a hockey stick. Today, Georgia Health News founder and editor Andy Miller takes us to Albany, Georgia, one of the pandemic's first hotspots, and looks at how the hospital there, Phoebe Putney Memorial, is seeing numbers climb again. Andy, what happened in Albany in the early days of the pandemic? Steve, there were a couple of funerals that happened. I think it was late February. Mel Murray has endured a lot of pain over the past 30 days. Back on February 29th, hundreds of family and friends came to the small Georgia city of Albany to say goodbye to Andrew Mitchell, the man that she loved for the past 20 years. After several hours of crying and hugging each other, Murray started feeling sick. That night, my mother went to bed. She had a fever. We didn't even know it at the time. The 75-year-old was presumably one of the first in Albany to be exposed to the coronavirus. She was hospitalized, but not immediately tested. Other members of their family... And this is at a time when COVID really wasn't in anybody's consciousness. What happened then was um, the, 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 the person that was considered patient zero um, ended up at Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital where... And that's the hospital in Albany, Georgia? It's, it's the hospital. It's basically uh, the whole uh, healthcare system in that area of the state. And um, Phoebe Putney became the epicenter. This hospital has quickly become a hotspot for COVID-19 cases. They've had 20 positive cases and 70 more suspected cases. They're still waiting. I asked them, well, what's this doing to your hospital? And they said, well, we went through uh, a total of six months of personal protective equipment in five days. Jeez. We've got an incredible community here in Albany. Nobody raised their hand and said, gee, let us come here first. Uh, you know, we were 10 days before New York really busted. And, and, and so, you know, it happened. And uh, we were prepared, I think, as well as we could have been. Back in May, Scott Steiner, president and CEO of Phoebe Putney Health System in Albany, was, was preparing uh, a plan to help his staff during this pandemic. We know there's a big mental health piece uh, coming post this event, not only here in Albany, but throughout throughout the world. Um, some of these these clinicians have seen things and had to do things they 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 only had read about and 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 maybe had nightmares about. Uh, but the decisions they had to make are, are gonna are gonna be long lasting, and so we're paying attention to that. I know that Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital was so overwhelmed at one point that doctors were coming out of retirement to to help in the efforts. One of them was Dr. Lamont Smith, who put his retirement on hold and went back to work uh, for an 80-hour-a-week rotation. He spoke with GPB News in March. It overwhelmed the hospital really quickly to the point where all of the ICU beds ended up being taken up by patients with COVID-19. 
And I saw people that I realized that we just weren't going to be able to save. That was what struck me so much, not just the quantity and the, of patients, the number of patients. It was that they were so sick that I felt like we didn't have any tools to make an impact on getting them well. It, it, it seems like healthcare personnel are signing up for extra shifts, um, or longer shifts. Uh, we, we know that uh, we've brought in nurses and doctors from other states to help out, and that happened early on in Albany. So it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck thing. I'm not trying to be unprofessional. I'm upset. I just quit my job. This emotional video of nurse Melissa Scott quitting her job has gone viral. My manager sent me to a floor that is being tested for corona. She knows my health history. She knows all of this. I quit. I care about the patients and all, but my family and my, my life, they matter. They come first. She worked at Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital in Albany, known as a hotbed for COVID-19. It, it's an issue, particularly in a smaller hospital, because if you have a nurse get infected, then other people and other staff in that hospital have to self-quarantine, right, right. and that could really put a squeeze on the medical care in that facility. I mean, if access to health care is already strained before the pandemic, this is just exacerbating it exponentially, I would think. Right. We have uh, physician shortages, nursing shortages in, in rural areas of our state, and our state is, our population is growing. It's not getting less, and so... Um, COVID is uh, having an effect there as well. And so the, the Phoebe Putney leadership reached out to the state and were very transparent in terms of talking to the press about what their challenges were, which were very significant. And it only became worse in terms of the patient load there. You mentioned they were transparent in talking to the press. Is that, has that been unusual to see uh, in this, during this pandemic? I would say yes, uh, it, it was, and it still is uh, unusual. It, it, uh, hospitals will respond to inquiries, but many of them have shied away from giving statistics in terms of numbers of people in the hospital with COVID. And um, one reason, I think, is they, they believe that they don't want to be uh, labeled in the public consciousness as a COVID hospital, that type of thing. And um, but, yeah, they are much more transparent than other hospital systems in the state. How many patients were there at, at a peak? Well, at one time they had more than 150 COVID patients in the hospital there, either. And most and, of them and this were, is in a county that only has 90,000 people. Right. And there was a nursing home, too, there in Albany that had many cases as well. So it just... It swept through that community. We now know Doherty County has the highest concentration of COVID-19 infections per capita in the state. That's Albany Mayor Bo Dura speaking in March during a news conference. A state-run quarantine facility will be opened and operated here in Doherty County. These decisions are motivated by the recognition that drastic measures must be taken to decelerate the spread of COVID-19. At one time, they had more than 150 patients in the hospital that were either confirmed or suspected of having the disease, and it was overwhelming to them. 
Uh, they did get staffing help from the state. Uh, they brought staff from, and they brought in staff uh, from er- other areas of the country. But Albany was a national hotspot for many weeks. It is, I must emphasize, almost certain that the number of confirmed cases will increase substantially within the next seven days. Darty County is a flashpoint for the virus. Do we know why it continued to spread and, and keep infecting people there? Was there something about that area or what, what was going on there? Well, I, I think uh, it's heavily African-American and, uh, and certainly uh, black people not only here in Georgia but uh, across the country have seen a disproportionate share of cases. Kamara Jones of Morehouse School of Medicine says the racial disparities in the pandemic are clear. Black Americans are more exposed and less protected. So those two things together make them more likely to get infected. And then once infected, they're more burdened by chronic disease and have less access to health care, which makes them more likely to die or have at least a severe experience of the infection. Clearly, there's a disproportionate impact of COVID on African-Americans and Latinos in our state and across the country. Back to Albany, to what degree was the, the surge that they encountered with COVID patients? How, how much was it overwhelming their ability to, to provide other services beyond COVID treatment? Well, they had to uh, cut out elective surgery. Now, that, that occurred nationally right. and in Georgia, where hospitals said, okay, we can't do this right now. We have to focus our attention on uh, COVID, essentially. And, and treating these patients is very labor-intensive. It's very, it requires a lot of PPE. Uh, it requires a lot of mechanical help uh, to help people breathe. And, mm-hmm. and, and, so, um, and, and so nationwide, that was going on in hospitals. But the issue for these um, facilities is that elective surgeries is one of the biggest profit areas for their operations. And so when they cut back on that and when they ended that, it led to real financial difficulties for, uh, for, hosp- for hospitals and medical centers across the country. In what specific financial problems was Phoebe Putney encountering? Well, they were saying that they were losing millions of dollars, um, you know, by not only the, the, the cost of treating COVID, but also the absence of elective surgery. And then right. you, many people were afraid of going to the doctor. Yeah. Like they, sh- like they regularly did because they were afraid of getting COVID if they went into an outpatient clinic or other facility. So it was uh, a fi- big financial problem for hospitals, uh, including Phoebe, of course. The demand for COVID-19 testing is rising. And yes, we have gotten reports of some people waiting in line for hours. We're seeing in Metro Atlanta long lines for testing. In southwest Georgia, is access to testing as problematic as it is here in terms of not just access to getting in line for a test, but just waiting on results? 
I think it just depends on where you go. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to someone who was uh, in DeKalb County here that, uh, you know, they didn't – they weren't going to schedule a test for him and for many days. But he went to Fulton County and got one pretty much the next day. So I mm-hmm. think it just depends on where you go. Um, and um, I get the sense that uh, it's – it's um, it, it just is a matter of uh, the local public health efforts. Yeah. And uh, it could be that uh, a medical facility like Phoebe has a rapid test where if you go to an outpatient center, you might be able to get a rapid test or get one scheduled. But uh, there are areas I, – I, th- I think there are areas where you have to wait in our state. Yeah. And and another th- another issue there is waiting for the test results. Mm-hmm. I mean that was a problem early on where people were waiting seven to ten days to get their results, and that supposedly there are, you know, there there's a big lag in getting test results again now. In the case of Phoebe in Southwest Georgia, access to medical care has has been a significant issue in rural Georgia. Talk a little bit about about that. Well, we have the th- in Georgia the third highest uninsured rate in the country, and um, and in Southwest Georgia it's even higher. And that compounded with the fact that it's generally a low-income area. And low-income people who are uninsured tend to not go to the, to the doctor or to the hospital when they should, when they have an emerging health problem. And so in that area, you had uh, not only high levels of uninsured and, and um, high levels of poverty, but you had high levels of chronic disease as well. So um, it, it, it's a um, it's much more um, it's probably the quote unquote least, least healthy region in our state and and so that factored into all of this. To what degree was what was happening in Albany impacting sort of how Governor Kemp was thinking about how he was going to respond statewide to the pandemic? Well, I think the governor focused uh, early on on building hospital capacity. The state is exploring projects with the Army Corps of Engineers for arena space and large buildings. And we are considering the conversion of vacant and underutilized properties of all types for hospital space. So not only do you have that new facility uh, or that reopened facility in Albany, but uh, Piedmont Healthcare opened a, um, a wing or a, a, a facility in Columbus. And then you had the governor uh, setting up the Georgia World Congress Center as a, um, as a temporary hospital. And there, there have been other hospitals that have worked on adding capacity. And so I think the governor early on realized that uh, we can't run out of hospital beds just like uh, was happening at the time in New York City, for right. example. Right. And the governor issues his shelter in place on April 3rd. And if you look at the stats... Uh, it seems the number of uh, the rate of infection seems to go down. Is that accurate? Well, I I think nationwide and in Georgia, when when those shelter orders went in, I think people paid attention to them and they uh, cut down on their um, 
on their various outside activities, outside the home activities. Um, the numbers uh, looked a lot better uh, after that occurred. So what happened since? Well, like the rest of the state, they have seen an increase in hospitalizations from COVID, uh, as hospitals across the state have. And uh, they also, um, the testing that they've done uh, recently, they've found that uh, there are a higher percentage of positive tests coming back. It's going up. You know, nobody really followed Albany. We obviously did. We were working with them 24-7, literally flying PPE down there. Last week, Governor Kemp was asked if masks should be mandatory. He brought up Albany. They were as bad a hot spot as anywhere in the country. When you look at the numbers, as bad as New York, New Jersey, wherever. And we didn't have a mandate down there. Nobody was even talking about a mandate there. The science behind face masks is clear, but the politics behind them is anything but. That's just ahead. This is Georgia Today. In May 1970, a riot erupted in Augusta, Georgia. It was after the death of a black teenager in the county jail. So how many black family got to continue to lose their life in the state of Georgia for them to see that we got a problem here with the police department? I'm C. Stachura, host of Shots in the Back, exhuming the 1970 Augusta riot. It's a co-production of GPB and Jesse Norman School of the Arts. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. My guest is Andy Miller, founder and editor of Georgia Health News. Andy, we've seen some cities across Georgia go above and beyond what Governor Kemp has ordered. They've mandated masks in their communities, even though the governor has said that those mandates are basically unenforceable. I mean, I'm not trying to get into any fights with anyone. Um, sir, I just want to help, help our folks to be safe. Savannah Mayor Van Johnson decided to mandate masks in his city. We know the science is very clear that wearing face coverings helps to decrease the spread of COVID-19. Um, so um, I'm prepared to um, make that move that we mandate here, that here in Savannah for the safety of our citizens and those that visit us here. Andy, let's start by talking about the science behind wearing a mask. Why should we be wearing them? Well, wearing a mask, uh, a good mask, will, if you're infected, will prevent you from infecting someone else that you're in contact with. Mm -hmm. But also a person wearing a mask themselves gets some level of protection as well from being infected by someone else. And um, I, I think the CDC has really evolved in its thinking. Originally, you know, it wasn't as it wasn't emphasizing as much mask yeah. wearing, but now it is. Now, now they do. We realized that we had a pub, an important public health tool that we needed to take advantage of, and that's if people were asymptomatic or presymptomatically infected, if they were wearing a face covering that they would have less ability to transmit to others. And that's why we embrace this important public health tool. Dr. Redfield said that if everyone wore masks, we could have this under control, I think were his words, in six to eight weeks. You know, we thought early on that COVID was kind of going to burn out in the summer. Well, right. that certainly is 
it's been just the opposite. It's accelerating now. So what does that say about the fall? Well, there are many hospitals are concerned about if we don't get this under control to a much greater degree than we have now, and then we run into flu season, the uh, impact on our health care system could be intense and immense. So that's why the next month or two are going to be very important. There are some cities that are sort of deciding on its own to issue mask mandates, which puts them in in opposition to what the governor's office has said. Where's that taking us? Yeah, Savannah, Atlanta, uh, Athens, uh, Augusta. And these are made, obviously major places in our state, and people are getting you know, mixed messages. I, I think that uh, I think these mayors obviously are concerned. They're seeing the numbers. They're hearing from their hospitals. Uh, you know, they, they see the numbers of people who are infected in their communities and want to try to stop the spread. I mean, I think, I mean, COVID-19 is like occupying our public consciousness and, and you know, in general. And I think political leaders uh, recognize that and are, are trying to do anything they can to lower the numbers in their community. Well, it's my belief that the city of Atlanta still has the appropriate standing to mandate masks. This is Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. We all have to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And what the scientists are telling us is that the right thing to do is to wear a mask. This is about the lives and livelihoods of all Georgians. Last week, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp sued Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and the city council, following a decision by the city to mandate masks and to roll back to phase one reopening. During a press conference, Governor Kemp had this to say about the suit. When you have decisions that literally take away some, someone's ability not only to operate and create confusion, but also to have them calling us saying, we got food in the freezer, we got food in the, the, the coolers, and if we shut down, that money's all gone. You know, that, that's not the right way to handle this. It's kind of a disjointed uh, government effort where on the one hand you have different cities saying, you know, we're requiring you to wear a mask. And then you have the state saying, well, we're not requiring that. We should be all in this together. As businesses reopen across Georgia, the state is still working to improve in two categories, top health officials say we'll slow the spread of COVID-19, testing and contact tracing to ramp up testing today. I, I would be interested to know kind of what contact tracing looks like throughout the state. Is it is it focused more in the metro area simply because of the population density or are they or are they going out to hot spots around the, around the state? How is that working? The Department of Public Health has, has hired more than a thousand contact tracers who are um, pretty hard at work trying to get a hold of people who may have come in contact with someone who has the infection. I, I think this is an extremely important thing to do. And uh, it's it's also important for people who get a phone call to cooperate with, with these folks. Um, 
contact tracing is going is an important weapon to control the spread of this virus. And uh, whether the state or any state has the personnel to be able to contact trace everybody, yeah. that's that remains to be seen. Not long ago, Georgia Health News published a story about how difficult it is to get information from Georgia Department of Public Health. And in fact, open records requests filed not just by Georgia Health News, but by a lot of media outlets have, have gone, un, well, maybe not unacknowledged, but they have not been responded to with the information that's been requested. What's going on there? Information in a pandemic is vital. It's not just vital for reporters, but it's vital for average Georgians to know what's, you know, to have the best information to make their own decisions on their family and on their children, on sending their kids back to school. Uh, and, and getting that information to the public is what journalists are trying to do. And what, what would be in those, in, in the emails that are being sought? What, what, what are you hoping to find? Well, it just depends. I, I, I don't know what other uh, outlets are looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know we were looking at, at one time about uh, some nursing home issues and, and just to get a sense as to what really is happening. I mean, you can, as a reporter, sometimes you get, um, you don't get as much information that you think the public needs to read in order to assess a particular situation. And and I think that uh, I think that was pretty broadly what media organizations were trying to do: get go beyond the actual number. If there were seventy-five infections in a nursing home, well, what happened there? Are they are they fixing the problem, or is the problem getting worse? Uh, did they have enough staffing? And we we know that nursing homes have been a a, a, a you know a place where We've had many infections and many deaths. Where do you see us in six months? I hope we have a vaccine. I I just hope, you know, there's plenty of candidates out there. They're pushing it, and rightly so. I hope we have an effective vaccine in six months. I hope we have therapeutics that help people who get it. And I hope our, our health care capacity keeps... Um, uh, you know, is sustained that we're able to take care of the people we need to take care of. And I hope our economy is is uh, at least going back toward recovery. Uh, I have hopes. I I I, um, I have fears too. And I, let's just uh, this is this virus uh, is just a a you know just a terrible thing in every way. And uh, uh, you know, I think we still need to know more about it. Thanks to Andy Miller, editor of Georgia Health News. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Our producer is Sean Powers. Have a story idea for us? Drop us a line at georgiatoday at gpb.org. See you next week.